Hey everyone, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, and today I have a very special interview for you. He's a very talented member of the elite group of orthopedic surgeons at the International Center of Limb Lengthening at Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Please enjoy the interview with Dr. Michael Asiag. Awesome. So yeah, that's a really cool background. So Dr. Asiag, you perform many meaningful life-changing procedures, you know, from deformity reconstruction to limb length discrepancy, knock knees, bow legs, you name it. Um, but our topic today, we want to talk about cosmetic height enhancement, uh, stature lengthening, if you will, um, to help boost a person's height. Um, so I want to start off with the overarching theme of why a person wants to get this done in the first place. You know, it's often said that there's a positive relationship between someone's height and attributes such as confidence, career success, assertiveness, whatever you want to say. And the vast number of stories that I've read from, you know, prospective patients you know, I think that there's two camps. One, you have those who see cosmetic limb lengthening as, you know, the new flash in the pan type, get taller hack. And then you have others who use it to kind of cure some psych psychological pain that they have when they're not happy with their, their current height. So I think both camps are seeking the same thing, some sort of like new level of confidence to kind of like improve their quality of life. But I want to ask you, how important is it that you think that a person who's seeking this um, procedure be psychologically stable? And a follow-up question to that would be, if you f do you feel that this is possible for people who are completely dysphoric with their height in the first place? Um, there's a short and a long answer to that question. Yeah. It's, a, it's a loaded question. The short answer is yes, the person who desires to undergo that process has to be psychologically stable. Mm -hmm. um, now, you talked about two different kind of people seeking that treatment. The, the, uh, I want to say the adrenaline junkies going mm -hmm. for the, the uh, which is really a minority, and the people who are concerned about an aspect of their body. Yeah. Uh, with, you know, call it body dysmorphic disorder, call it uh, height dysphoria. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a real thing. Yeah. Now, I think all the patients who consider this procedure who honestly consider it, have some extent of height dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, how bad is it? Mm -hmm. Or how serious is it on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm -hmm. Now, the question that someone has to answer is, how important is my preoccupation for my height on a day-to-day -day basis? Mm -hmm. How much of, of my consideration for my height is present in my decision-making mm -hmm. in my body image. So that's the first question that people have to answer. Mm -hmm. The second question people have to answer is, is there a way I can deal with that issue on my own, right? Because you said it, there's a correlation mm -hmm. between height and professional endeavors mm -hmm. be, uh, in the dating life. Mm -hmm. It's not a causality. Mm -hmm. There's a trend, but there's a lot of people who are not making an average, whether they're men or women, who achieve high positions uh, in society, who are very successful in, in their endeavors. Mm -hmm. So the first step is, how can I address this the conservative way? And it's going to be the same thing I tell to all my patients, whether they have a, a medical pathology that has to be fixed or they have a concern with their height. We can draw a parallel with, uh, men who get other kind of of um, cosmetic procedures, whether mm -hmm. it's it's a hair transplant, 
if you get the hair if one gets the hair transplant is it going to completely get rid of the the concern for hair the answer is no there's mm -hmm. always going to be some right the last component of my answer is as well is the person who is so concerned about their height going to be able to uh tango to dance <laughs> with right it takes to tango yeah uh, we have the expertise we lengthen people on a weekly basis on a daily mm -hmm. basis in our center for most people their lengthening will be hopefully one of the only ones again in their lives mm -hmm. so they, we they have to be able to trust us in the process that what we want is to get them towards success it's interesting i read a lot online uh, uh you know, lay, pe lay people who say, well, you can only trust yourself, you can't trust your physician, they're in it for the money. The answer is, obviously, that's how we, we, we make a living, but we're all passionate about limb lengthening. All, mm -hmm. all we care about is success. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 it may feel like I ventured away from your question, but the, the short answer and the long answer can be summarized in, yes, psychological stability is important. Mm -hmm. What can be done with non-surgical measures? Mm -hmm. And is the preoccupation um, too severe to play together or to work together to achieve success? Those are things that we we can uh, that we have to uh, to answer prior to surgery. Yeah, there was a time where I did uh, psychological evaluations. Mm -hmm. Now most of my patients, not all of them, will get questionnaires, but uh, I don't do it routinely. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think that that's a really good. Um, answer i mean it just shows that there's a lot of factors that go into it it's not a yes or no scenario you you got to meet with them you have to consult with them and you have to kind of like you said how bad is your height affecting your daily life okay because if it's like you can't wake up and not think about it then that that may rule you for being a potential candidate whereas if it just bothers you once every five six months you can probably forget about that <laughs> well good. there's there's much easier ways to to reach your goals most <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs> Um, Dr. Arcea, do you feel that the, um, like, let's say that a patient who comes to you for cosmetic, uh, limb lengthening, and let's say that they're taller than the average height. Okay. So in America, let's say that's about 5'10". Um, is it unfair to judge these people, you know, for wanting to get that surgery? Um, or do you feel that the height dysphoria or the unhappiness with their stature can happen at any height, any stature? I think it can happen at any height and any stature, and it depends on your reality, right? Everyone is different. Everyone has a different environment they grew up in or a different reality they grew up in. So before answering that question, I'll go back into the medical field. Mm -hmm. When a child comes into my office with a predicted leg length discrepancy at, at maturity, I always have that conversation. I always have the conversation. We, we whip out the multiplier app, right. uh, estimate according to the multiplier method, what's going to be their final height. And then we make a decision. I, I just display all the options. They say, you, you can use a shoe lift. You can, we can stun the growth of the leg that's going to be longer. It's the easiest way. <laughs> or we can lengthen your, your short limb at the end. <laughs> we whip out the multiplier app because we want to know how tall is going to be the, the teenager or the young adult <laughs> at maturity. And the decision will be different whether they're going, they're, they're targeted to be 5'8", 6'3", or 5'1". Mm -hmm. And I don't let my own biases uh, make the decision. 
it's a discussion that we all need to have together. So mm. there are some people who are targeted to be 6'3". They don't want to lose an inch. Others who say, you know what? My, oh, my whole family is super tall. I don't mind losing an inch. <laughs> so everyone is different. It all comes down to objectives. So now if we draw that parallel to the world of cosmetic limb lengthening, the question is, did you grow up in a family where everyone is 6'5"? Mm -hmm. Did you grow up in a family where everyone is 5'2 and you want to reach an average height? Mm -hmm. um, also, what are your objectives? If you're six feet tall and your goal is to be six feet three and because you want to be in the NFL mm -hmm. and you feel like those three inches will get you there, well, maybe it's time to talk about your objectives mm -hmm. and about realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. If you're 5'9 in a and your dream is to become uh, a politician, you want to change the way things are done in your state, and all your competitors are very tall, and you think it's a valid reason, and you have the charisma that goes with it, and you have everything else, well, who am I to judge, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I do not have a limit, okay. but the objective needs to match the goals. I like that. I love that. That makes complete sense. And um, you made two big points there. You said the environment um, of the person. So if a person is in, let's say, Netherlands or something where the height, the average height is so much taller, then it may make sense for somebody who's five foot 10 or six foot to go for lengthening. And then if their objectives match their goals. I love it. Great answer. Um, okay, so I know that the International Center of Limb Lengthening uses the latest and greatest in limb lengthening technology such as the internal precise and stride nails. I mean, these have been revolutionary in limb lengthening. Uh, what do you think makes these innovative de devices so beneficial compared to something like an external fixator? Uh, it would, the internal lengthening devices were a game changer. Yeah. So much to apply them to everything. And there is this paradigm shift that we're trying to, to reach where uh, we let go of external fixation to go to venture towards a world of internal fixation. Mm -hmm. um, that paradigm shift has already been started decades ago by our friends from the AO, mm. uh, which is basically an association for uh, trauma surgeons in, mm -hmm. in a nutshell for, for the principles of, in, of internal uh, osteosynthesis. Now, mm. if we start with the uh, progress between uh, the classic Elizarov to the circular hexapod, mm -hmm. uh, the circular hexapod took away guesswork, took away the trigonometry of, of the hinge. Took, uh, it made it easier to compensate for the deformities that are created by muscle pull during lengthening. Mm -hmm. You can simultaneously correct a deformity and lengthen. Right. Now, between the circular hexapods and limb length and internal devices like uh, all those ratchet nails, like the Precise, which is a magnetically induced internal lengthening nails, then all of a sudden there's no more pin sites. Mm -hmm. There's no more pin site infection. Mm -hmm. The risk of deep infection has decreased for subsequent treatments. Right. Uh, there's no more pins. If we talk about lengthening over a nail in the femur, there's no more pins transfixing the muscle. Uh -huh. uh, much much um, less range of motion loss. Mm -hmm. The whole process is is much easier. Right. Not only physically, but also psychologically. Yeah. Imagine wearing this 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 brace mm -hmm. that you cannot remove. 
it's anchored directly into bone, there is a concept of fixer burnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why techniques such as lengthening over nail, the lengthening and the nailing technique from my mentors um, in New York yeah. come to play. We want to decrease that X takes time and, and, and move on with our lives. Mm-hmm. Scarring is much less extensive as well with the internal device. Right. But the initial precise, it wasn't when some, so many other nails out there are non weight bearing implants. Mm-hmm. So in terms of sitting, of sitting position, people who undergo those lengthenings are sitting or bedridden, and this is not favorable for uh, joint contractors. Mm-hmm. Now, if we go the, the extra mile, if we go into the world of the limb, the uh, the weight bearing device, uh, internal mm-hmm. device such as Stride, yeah. then all of a sudden patients can spend less time sitting right. in a chair position. Uh, it's much easier on the hip flexors, mm-hmm. much easier on the on the hamstrings, much easier on the on the calf. Mm-hmm. So at every step of the way, it's an evolution that gets us a little closer to being functional or fully functional right. during lengthening. Wow. Uh, now, I know we're mostly talking about height and enhancement, but we, we, we saw the boat transport mm-hmm. nail coming out. I've personally done two. I'm about to do a third one. Wow. Uh, which brought patients who were wearing external fixers for a year and a half. Now they're wearing it for only... Uh, sorry, now they're not wearing a fixer. Within a few months, they're going back to work. They don't even wow. realize what's happening. There's the, the uh, precise plate mm-hmm. that now um, aims at removing the per- painful fixer for kids. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a, the quick answer is it was a game changer. Yeah. And we haven't seen the end of it. That's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. So it's, it's always evolving, always advancing. And I know you guys at the International Center for Limb Lengthening are always on the latest and greatest um, on top of that. So that's cool. Um, so one thing that I noticed is that several, I mean, actually every uh, person who's seeking the cosmetic stature lengthening, they want to gain max height, you know, and you as a surgeon, how, how do you balance their desire with getting as tall as possible while minding safety parameters because i know it's got to be are there strict guidelines in place do you say that hey you know the femur can only do this well obviously there's length you know the max length of the the nail um but or do you just take like more of a a lengthen and observe approach what's your method the real answer is somewhere in the middle okay so first we have to define what's max height what's max Mm -hmm. length right is it the maximum stroke of the implant mm-hmm. is it the maximum stroke that a bone can can tolerate mm-hmm. uh that a joint can tolerate that a nerve can tolerate so it's a multi-layered answer okay um what i tell the patients is the if you're going the intramedial way the rod has a potential of eight centimeters okay it doesn't mean that we need to gain the, the whole eight centimeters but here's what we can do to maximize your odds mm-hmm. so the first classical teaching is that 15%, we, we, we tend to consider lengthening more in percentage of the initial bone length, right. than absolute length. Okay. So in the realm of, of, of long bone lengthening, uh, 15% is relatively easy. It's doable. Mm-hmm. If we reach towards 20%, it's still, we, we tend to use 20% as a max cutoff, okay. but it's harder. Mm. Uh, so t- to give an example, 20% of a 40 centimeter bone, like a femur, for instance, mm-hmm. would be eight centimeters. Mm-hmm. So we're reaching that max capacity. Right. But it's more than just that. Mm-hmm. We have to take into consideration a lot of 
of, of uh, factors that are part of this dynamic process. First of all is how do the joints handle the lengthening, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, because really, yes, there's a concept that's called distraction histiogenesis, which mm-hmm. are soft tissues that recreate themselves by stretch. Mm-hmm. But really, we only lengthen bones and muscles and, and neurovascular structures, nerves, vessels. They have to be lengthened by the patient through physical therapy mm-hmm. in addition. Right. Uh, so how much length can your, your joints handle? Mm. How much are you willing to dedicate to physical therapy? And I'm, I, I'm sure we'll go into that later. Oh, yeah. So, um, also, how much traction can your nerves tolerate before you start feeling some numbness and tingling before we even have, if we haven't done it at the initial surgery, to consider doing some nerve releases as well. Okay. Uh, so, here's really what I tell patients. I tell them, you can reach up to eight centimeters at the femur. You can reach five safely at the tibia. Mm-hmm. But let's measure your bones and let's see if those measurements fit with your anatomy okay then what i tell them is if you do want to achieve the max stroke of of the implant or the max that you can do it 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 takes two to tango Mm -hmm. we have to work together you have although the brace that you're going to wear during in the night times is going to be uncomfortable you have to wear it no pain no gain You have to do the physical therapy, uh, even if it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. both organized, but also on your own. Um, so it's a multi-layered approach. Yes. A lot of people ask me, uh, what's your average lengthening? Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, pretty much like everyone else, 6.5 to 7 centimeters yeah. for cosmetic reasons. Yeah, It's not because I'm better or worse than anyone else. It's because we all, as patients, all patients have similar limitations. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. And. All right, I want to switch a little gears. So the whole point of cosmetic limb lengthening is to increase their height. But, um, you know, some patients, you know, their, their appearance is super, super important to them. Um, what is your thoughts about proportions? I, I know that a lot of people say, oh, my proportions are going to be skewed after cosmetic uh, limb lengthening. And it's true to some extent. Or do you try to, like, ease your patient's concerns and say it's not as important? Or do you find that they're even worried about it in the end anyway? Well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Mm -hmm. And if you choose to undergo cosmetic height enhancement or cosmetic limb lengthening, it means that your your cosmesis, Mm -hmm. your aesthetic aspect is important. Right. Right? And we're talking about people who are going to look at themselves in the mirror, making sure everything is symmetrical, which is not wrong per se. Yeah. But um, all patients will get measurements of the segments okay the, the and most of your viewers know that the uh, the average proportion is 0.8 mm-hmm. tibia on femur plus or minus 0.02 right and the answer is not everyone's like that it's exactly like that so some people are what we call mesomelic have a little bit shorter tibias uh-huh. then it may be a good idea to preserve proportions to lengthen the tibias okay at the sacrifice of height. Right. The, the expectations of length gained at the tibia are, are less. So it's a world of compromise. Yeah. Now, if at the opposite, you're a little bit more on the rhizomelic side, meaning that the femurs are a little uh, smaller, mm-hmm. then femur lengthening makes sense. Okay. But think about it. Mm-hmm. It depends what you want. So a lot of women who undergo limb lengthening, they want to have those beautiful long legs with long calves. Mm-hmm. You won't get that through 
femur lengthening. Right. Once again, it's a world of compromise. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that we need to keep in mind is when you're dressed. Yeah. And I haven't listened to the other interviews with, with the other surgeons, so I'm not sure if they mentioned that. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's something we ta often talk about. No one really knows where your femurs start. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not, right? Where do they start compared to your body? No one knows. No, so no. I think if, for people who want to perverse, preserve proportions the most, mm -hmm. going with femur lengthening is never wrong right. because, because of that reason. When, you're sit when one is sitting, everyone knows about where the tibia start, you know, give or take at the area of the knee yeah. and towards the ankle. Yeah. Uh, so that's a little more evident. Okay. Um, and now, once again, it's a discussion. Right. I'm never going to tell someone you need to lengthen your femur or you need to lengthen your tibias yeah. or you need to lengthen both for that matter. <laughs> for that matter. Uh, it's just a matter of knowing the pros and cons of each yeah. and making a decision together. Gone are the days of paternalistic medicine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where you just look eyeballing it. It's all about, and like you said, you take x-rays, you measure their bone lengths, you do that proportional analysis. And in the end, you just come up to them and you, you give it to them and let them know. Um, say, hey, if this is what you're, what's really important to you, the proportion and a little bit of height, we can do this way. If height's more important, you throw the proportion out the window. So okay. very cool, very cool. Um, <laughs> this, this question, this next question is what everybody asks, and I just have to get your take on it. What are your thoughts on arm lengthening, Dr. Asiag? <laughs> There are so many people who reach out to me for arm length. And the first question that always pops to my mind is, would, which part do you want to lengthen, forearm or, or arms, <laughs> right. no, upper arms? Um, I have done upper arms lengthenings okay. for, met for asymmetries, people mm -hmm. with uh, arm length discrepancies who were either self-conscious about it or who had a functional issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, we routinely do arm lengthenings in people with bone dysplasias, especially uh, rhizomelic dysplasias, so at the arm. Okay. Uh, because when you think about it, the role of the arm, and we're going to go a little bit in, in, into the field of anatomy here mm -hmm. and function, the role of the arm is to position the hand in space. Right. Um, in, you know, a spherical movement. Mm -hmm. If, what, what matters? Well, what matters is to reach the mouth. Mm -hmm is to reach the head and is to reach the backside for yeah. basic hygiene purposes. Mm -hmm. If your arms are so short that you cannot reach your backside, you cannot perform basic hygiene on mm -hmm. a daily basis, then arm lengthening is very important. Okay. Most people who would like to undergo arm lengthening for cosmetic reasons already have a functional upper extremity and I do not advise it. Mm. Okay. Um, I haven't seen a lot of patients with without bone dysplasias who underwent bilateral arm lengthening to judge for the cosmesis of it. Right. But I wouldn't think it adds a lot. Yeah. If you go in the world of forearm lengthening, I strongly uh, disagree or discourage people to do it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have reached out to me for that. Yeah. And there's so many ways that the, the forearm, the hand is such a complex machine yeah. that requires more than gross motor skills, that requires very fine motor skills, mm -hmm. uh, dexterity. Mm -hmm. There's just too many ways I can mess up function mm -hmm. for the small gain that it would be, that, there would, that it would yield. So I shy away from cosmetic arm lengthening. 
Yeah. Yeah. As, as your mentee, Dr. Rosbrook did too. And I asked him the same thing in his interview. And um, I mean, your mentor, I'm sorry. He, uh, he said the same thing. He said that it's just not ideal for cosmetic purposes. Um, but he knows that a lot of patients do ask about that. So I had to, I had to get that out there. Um, and then the last thing about appearance is uh, scarring. Um, you know, especially for women who are considering the procedure, I know that limb lengthening, you know, with the internal nails has minimized this significantly, you know, because they have minuscule incisions and then the, 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 the screws are inside and they only leave very faint scars later on. But for some people, this just doesn't cut it, you know. Um, so for, let's say, a woman who's undergoing cosmetic limb lengthening for, let's say, she wants to get into modeling, do you, do you suggest that she could get laser scar removal? And if so, when should she do it after she gets the device removed? Scarring is very important. Uh, for our patients, we have to remember people who do that for who do limb lengthening for cosmetic reasons mm -hmm. care about mesis. Right. And it's it's not our, our role to judge them for that. We have to work together. Mm -hmm. So the answer is we've come a long way in terms of scarring compared to the days of external fixation. Right. That's one thing. Uh, the second thing is I there's always the possibility at the removal surgery to uh, excise the scars that are displeasing. Mm. The, the most extens extensive scarring is usually about an inch long or three quarters of an inch long at the iliotibial band release for the femur and the insertion point mm -hmm. uh, for both other uh, procedures. Okay. Now, the insertion point of the nail is oftentimes in the bikini line. Okay. And I've been trying now to angle my incision in line with the... Uh, uh, with the uh, lines of tension of the skin, uh -huh. what we call the line, uh, to make cosmesis a little bit better. Okay. I try, and that's in it, that's a. Uh, I need to give props to my physician assistant Chris Sokalski. Uh -huh. He's always driving me to to do better in terms of cosmesis. He says, "How can we decrease the amount of, of of scarring? How can we couple? Is it better to have two small stab incisions or just one that's longer in between, uh, but that's smaller than two combined?" I don't have that answer yet, but I always try to push myself into getting it better. Mm. If you're talking about tibia lengthening, I've started doing my, my just like the Germans do, Dr. Baumgart notably, uh, and Dr. Radler, I do a little transverse incision for my insertion point, and you can barely see the, uh, the incision now. Wow. Uh, so that's, that can be a little controversial with uh, traditional orthopedic surgeons, but for cosmetic reasons, uh, reasons it yields good results okay uh, in terms of scar management there's so many ways that can be used mm -hmm. um, not everyone gets hypertrophic scarring or caloids so mm -hmm. it depends on skin pigment your skin type uh, your history of scar healing right. there's silicone dressings that can be used there's cortisone injections mm -hmm. there's laser treatment mm -hmm. when patients ask me about cosmesis of their wounds mm -hmm. about how to make it better I like to remind them, hey, I'm not, I'm not a cosmetic surgeon per se, right? I don't, do, I don't do laser or that kind of stuff, but it is important. Why don't you reach out to a good plastic surgeon, do your research, create the relationship now, mm -hmm. right off the bat, even before the surgery, right. and, and work with them on that aspect to coach you on how to take care of your wound. Mm -hmm. I'm not closing the door to, to partnering with one one day. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's just not the rea reality of our practice, but uh, it's never wrong to start that discussion early, partner up with someone else. The mm -hmm. best care is multidisciplinary, right? Yes. And 
and go with the expert for each part. Wow. So if, if patients don't like the result, I, I pride myself with my cosmetic results and the way I, I, I close wounds like plastic surgeons mm -hmm. uh, with subcuticular. But if I'm not the best man to my patient's eyes, let's find who is. Wow. I love that. Yeah. I mean, everybody there at um, Sinai is great. I know Dr. Conway made my scars almost invisible. So <laughs> you guys are good. Um, Dr. Garcia, when it comes to complications, picking a good surgeon who specializes not only in limb lengthening, but also deformity corrections is, is very important. Um, is it possible to fix a deformity, let's, like, let's say, bow leg or knock knees in the tibia or the femurs uh, during the limb lengthening process? And if it is, does it increase the recovery process or is it kind of just done all at once? It depends on the uh, severity of the deformity. Mm -hmm. I've, uh, I've started an Instagram account where I post uh, some patient testimonies, but mostly cases okay. and, and examples of what can be done. Once again, the gradual correction and limb lengthening is not um, even mainstream in the world of orthopedics. Right. So a lot of people benefit from, from learning about Mm -hmm. uh, the principles. So uh, there's a few examples there of, of deformity correction and lengthening. Mm -hmm. Now there's many ways to do it. One can do an acute correction of the deformity, meaning correct the deformity here and there during the surgery, mm -hmm. insert an intramedullary nail, and this will typically be done if there's a deformity around the, uh, the, the bottom end of the femur, okay. the thigh bone. Okay. And then you lengthen over the new mechanical axis uh, to do it. Okay. The only difference is that we will increase the latency period. Okay. Instead of, of starting lengthening at day five, we may start lengthening at day 10 or maybe up to two weeks later. I see. Same thing for the tibias. I have done acute corrections and lengthenings, but we have to let the body adjust to the new position, create that callus before mm -hmm. we start distracting the callus. Mm. Alternatively, there are some treatments that are very well tolerated. For instance, right. a severe proximal tibia or upper part of the tibia uh, deformity and lengthening. Okay. Uh, right as we speak, I have three patients undergoing gradual corrections of the, of the tibia with length wow. simultaneously. Um, and we can still reach up to five centimeters of length. And the beauty of it is not only can we get length organically with the bone lengthening, but just creating that deformity, that, uh, deformity correction gains some length. Mm -hmm. And I won't go too far into it, but the hypotenuse of a triangle is always longer than the adjacent side. <laughs> if that yeah. talks to the... If yeah. you Pythagorean so, <laughs> so by correcting the deformity, we take that hypotenuse and we make it adjacent so we gain as well some length. Yeah. Okay. So the answer is it's doable. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a little bit more thought process that goes into it. Um, and there's a few options that are to be considered as wow. well. Wow, that's really cool, yeah. Because I know that, um, I think I watched an uh, interview from Dr. Rosbrook one time. He was using blocking screws and all that, so that's very cool that you guys do that. Um, blocking screws are the key. Is if that the key? Lengthening, if you do lengthening, yes. And, and I'm so grateful for having learned that from the best. Yeah. You, you should see how, and props to Dr. Rosbrook, you should see how he plans his cases thoroughly, uh, you should see how uh, he's one of the most amazing surgeons. Let's let's give him that shout out. He's one oh, of absolutely. the most surgeons I've ever he seen. Is. He is. Um, so blocking screws are key, and when you do an acute correction and lengthening, that's where most of the focus needs to be. I see. I see. Yeah, it was a very informative um, lecture when I watched it. Um, 
can you, so a lot of prospective patients, they always ask me these questions and I always throw them at you guys. Uh, so we want to give a quick rundown of some very various complications that could occur. And let's say a textbook case where you, the surgeon and, and your patient do everything perfectly. What are the percentages of like, let's say a non-union um, of occurring or even a muscle contracture? Um, you want to know just specifically to those two complications? Just, yeah, you can go into it. Yeah. In general. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so the answer is, it depends on a lot of factors, once again. Yeah. Uh, so the risk of non-union is very low. We're talking about less than 5%, most okay. likely whether between 1% and 5%. And there's so many ways to, uh, to first prevent those mm -hmm. and then treat them. So mm -hmm. the first thing that, that we can both do uh, on the patient and the surgeon side is, first of all, wait the appropriate latency period. Let okay. the body do that callus formation. You don't want it to distract the cyst, something right. that's just empty. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. Second thing is you want to make sure that the patient is not smoking mm -hmm. and that the patient has a healthy diet. Okay. And some, some purists will say even uh, alcohol consumption will imp impact some phases of bone healing. Uh -huh. So if you want to maximize the odds, quit drinking as well. Okay. Um, eat a healthy, balanced diet get some good calcium and, and vitamin D supplements. Mm -hmm. There's someone who just asked me lately, um, what is the additional caloric intake that I need to, to uh, gain during limb lengthening? And the truth is I didn't have a good answer right. uh, for him, but that's an, where we took that comment. Yeah. yeah. That's very naive. And we, we made a research project out of it. And we wow. said, you know, let's study that. Let's, let's go into the nitty gritty of that. So eating well, is a good way to decrease that. Right. But also, what are we calling, calling a non-union, right? Mm -hmm. Are we dealing with an empty cyst, an mm -hmm. empty void of eight centimeter? Well, I would hope that as a surgeon, if, if the surgeon starts seeing void uh -huh. in the middle, we'll not go all the way to the eight centimeters, but right. we'll either slow down the lengthening, uh, stop, compress before mm -hmm. starting again, bone graft, or try to troubleshoot the reason why. Mm -hmm. assess for infection you know there's 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 steps that the surgeon must make okay uh, and then how do we solve it once it's an established non-union meaning no bone formation progress progression um, three pro um, so, uh, consecutive x-rays taken one month apart what do we do next uh -huh. do we inject bone marrow aspirate stem cells mm -hmm. do we go straight to bone grafting right. do we go to exchange nailing so there's so many ways to deal with it, mm -hmm. depending on, is it just a cyst? Is it a delayed union? Is it a full non-union? I see. Um, so, so that's how we um, predict, mm -hmm. prevent, and treat those non-unions, okay. which, once again, very low. We're talking about less than 5%, most likely more in the realm of 1% to 2%. Okay. Muscle contractures, it's almost 100%. They will happen. Yeah. That's just the nature of the beast. Right. Um, so how do you troubleshoot them? Mm -hmm. Well, first, uh, that prevention can be done at the initial surgery by releasing the iliotibial band to prevent going into wide abduction and having someone walk like a cowboy. Yeah. Uh, by assessing the, the, the flexibility of the calf, mm -hmm. by doing adjunct procedures, by fixing the fibula at the top of the tibia mm -hmm. to prevent that pull down of the bicep and that mm -hmm. contraction of the hamstrings. Wow. and the lateral collateral ligaments that's primordial mm -hmm. um i've seen people with 
offensive contractures with only a few centimeters of lengthening. Um, and that's an issue that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Another, so that's talking about initial surgery. Then there's a rate of lengthening. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want to go too fast. We'll let the soft tissues adapt. But not only that, if, I, if a patient during lengthening comes into my office with a muscle contracture mm -hmm. or joint contracture, we need to slow down. Okay. I, there's a lot of people who reach out to me and say, how fast do you distract? <laughs> That's an interesting question. The, the real question should be, how often do you slow down? Ah. <laughs> and, and the answer is, it depends what your goals are. Is your right. goal to gain length but a crooked joint? <laughs> well, then go as fast as you want. If the goal is to gain full length but still be functional, let's slow down, slow down as needed. Okay. Keep the, the example in mind. So how often does muscle contracture happen? Almost all the time. Right. The question is, don't let it get to, a, to a, um, a phase where it's unmanageable. Okay. Address it before either by slowing down or by going back and performing soft tissue releases and by doing the initial surgery properly. Wow. Um, so that's really how I like to address those two problems. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, you know, an exact number, it's more right. like it will happen. Yeah. It's rare. And, but here's how we navigate through that. And we'll re I'm, I'm sure we'll reuse the analogy of, of navigation pretty soon. Oh, we will. We will definitely. <laughs> Very cool. Um, before we continue, are there any other complications that you would like your uh, prospective patients to know about? Like um, that they, that you, just to kind of like, you know, keep them aware that could occur. Obviously, you mentioned emboli earlier. Um, yeah, and stuff like that. We talked about emboli, and I think that's the, the embolus and mm -hmm. emboli. Mm -hmm. um, that's what was the most concerning for the, uh, the patient and for mm -hmm. the, uh, the, um, the one undergoing the lengthening. Right. Uh, because that's the one that's potentially life-threatening. Mm -hmm. We talked about not healing. We talked about joint contractures, mm -hmm. nerve issues. Nerve it's issues. Uh, that people start feeling some tingling, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a little bit of weakness. And, and usually it's like seeing a train crash unfold at very slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, you want to be able to do something about it before the train is is completely oh, off its tracks, okay. right? So, uh, I we work really intimately or or in concert with the physical therapist, and it's not uncommon a therapist will tell me, you know what, I assess this patient's big toe function, yeah, and it seems a little bit more weak than on the other side. Mm -hmm. When a therapist reaches out to me and says that, yeah, I, the patient will be in my office the next available appointment this, that week okay. because that may be one of the first signs mm -hmm. of common perineal nerve compression. Mm -hmm. And if we haven't released it at the initial surgery, well, then we need to have a discussion with the patient. Yeah. What's more important to you? Gaining length but losing nerve function mm -hmm. or gaining length but having a functional nerve and then We'll go into surgery, we'll release that nerve, and at least we'll have done everything in our power to prevent further. And I'll tell you what, 95% of the time, it resolves completely. So wow. nerve issue mm -hmm. uh, is a serious one as well. Mm -hmm. Premature consolidation is a thing as well. Yeah. Uh, I, in patients who uh, don't lengthen very, very religiously or skip, mm -hmm. skip lengthening sessions, or people who don't do the full lengthening session, or who don't lengthen at the right mark, right. We, we see that we, we try to do everything in our power so that it does not happen, but mm -hmm. uh, we see it once in a while. Mm -hmm. So premature consolidation is a real thing. Okay. In those cases, we have to go back and, and cut the bone 
a little higher up mm -hmm. to achieve the length. I see. Wow. Uh, typically, if we do that, we do it in a, in a surgery center. Um, it's an outpatient procedure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the formy can occur as well during lengthening. So yeah. one has to make sure that all appropriate blocking screws were used as needed mm -hmm. or that, um, you know, all appropriate soft tissue releases that can all as well impact uh, bone deformity have been done. Okay. Um, and then there's a risk of anesthesia that mm -hmm. we talk to patients, but yeah. that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, that's typical surgery. If they can't get over that, then they shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> okay, here we go. Dr. Asiag, I'm sure you get bombarded with the cost of procedure question. It's a loaded question. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, at times right now, insurance doesn't cover cosmetic procedures like stature lengthening. Uh, but if you don't mind me asking, what is the cost of uh, lengthening with you at the International Center of Lung Lengthening? As of right now, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll talk for now mainly about the cost of stride lengthening okay. for the femur and the tibia okay. with a little bit of, of details. So as of right now, we're in the process of negotiating our prices with the hospital. Both myself and my partner who does cosmetic lengthening, the, uh, Janet, Dr. Conway, mm -hmm. we're both hospital employees. So we're not involved in that decision-making process, but okay. we're advocates for our patients. Mm -hmm. I've been... All my partners will tell you I've been advocating right now to with the hospital to decrease that cost and to make it as affordable as possible. So as of right now, stride lengthening of the femurs, excluding physical therapy, mm -hmm. is in the, the ballpark of $80,000 USD. Okay. If you include, and that includes, however, uh, the initial outpatient physical therapy evaluation mm -hmm. and the custom knee devices, the CKDs crafted by Neil Bavi. Okay. Because in, in our mind, uh, and, and I think the data supports it for now, the use of that knee brace, yeah. and I, you may have experienced I've it. had it. <laughs> it's crucial. It is. It, it, it makes a world of difference between having joint contractures at the knee and none. Mm -hmm. So including those, which is really the magic of Dr. Bavi, we're talking about $80,000 USD. Okay. If you add 36 sessions of physical therapy with an outpatient therapy, but not affiliated with our hospital, mm -hmm. however, with therapists who used to be part of our team, who just branched out on their own right. into outpatient therapy, that adds $3,600, uh, to be exact, $3,620 okay. to, um, to the cost estimate. Okay. So we're talking the ballpark of 84000 Okay. Uh, if you want to experience the whole ICLL approach with the Rubin Institute Physical Therapy, which is at the hospital, because of the reality of our state, mm -hmm. the cost is more in the surrounding of $90,000 with 36 sessions of land physical therapy with our team. So, okay. so really three prices brackets, okay. 19, uh, sorry, 80, 84, mm -hmm and 90, 90 for femur lengthening using stride. Okay. Tibia lengthening, mm -hmm. uh, bump up that number by about 4,000 mm -hmm. across the, uh, across the, um, spread. the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And the reason is it's a little bit more surgical time. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more surgical gestures yeah. that add to the overall, overall cost. Okay. We're, and we're constantly trying as surgeons to make it more affordable to our patients. I see a world where that cost is, is not even half that, but oh. not, <laughs> not uh, 
if you if one decided to do lengthening with precise instead of stride, mm -hmm. it knocks five thousand right off the bat of those prices as well. Okay, so it's five thousand cost saving as well. Okay. Um, so those are our costs, and I'm, it's not common, but uh, if if people decide to do lengthening over nails mm -hmm. at the tibias, I don't offer it at the femur yet for multiple reasons. We can talk about it later if you're interested, but uh, lengthening over nails or external fixation lengthening purely circular at the tibia mm -hmm. knocks a whole 40 grand of that price. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just due to the cost of the, the stride Technology. implant. Yeah. And, and at Sinai, because two of our um, faculty members have worked into that, into uh, that technology, the precise technology, our costs, our implant cost is one of the lowest in the US, mm -hmm. but yet it's very expensive. Right. Uh, we are in the process of lowering those prices, mm. but it's a it's an uphill battle. Okay. So slow and steady wins the race. That also <laughs> that also applies to us. Right. <laughs> and eventually, I, I see a world where if you include competition in the nails, mm -hmm. if you have other companies who jump into the arena who develop weight bearing nails of the same capacity, the same accuracy, the same precision, mm -hmm. that will drive the costs down. If you, if us as limb lengthening surgeons make a good job at getting uh, shedding a light into that obscure Gattaca-ish procedure, <laughs> right, that will also increase competition. That will decrease the price. That's right. that uh, price decrease is a good thing. Yes, yes. That, I, I always tell people I think it's just basic economics, but then also time. We have to give it time. This is a relatively new procedure, uh, the cosmetic ap approach at least. And, um, you know, it just takes time for it to be accepted and then more competition to join the party. So uh, very cool. Well, thank you for uh, letting us know. I think everybody's going to love to hear that. You're going to be one of the most popular interviews because of that. <laughs> Dr. Asiag, any final words to anyone who is looking into limb lengthening? Yes, for cosmetic reasons. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's looking for cosmetic height enhancement should definitely know what they're getting into. Okay their research it's a process it's a path mm -hmm. and it's not a single surgery mm -hmm. people have to be invested so read a lot about uh, what you are getting into mm -hmm. also invest yourself fully in what you're going to do dedicate those months of your life to your process of limb lengthening it's not the kind of thing, uh, the kind of process you can just squeeze in in between two appointments <laughs> while, while, you know, managing a whole family and, and a, and a full-time job. You mm -hmm. have to be able to take a step back, dedicate yourself to that. Mm -hmm. Hire a helper. Yeah. If you don't have someone from your family to help you, mm -hmm. hire a helper. You, there's some little details of life that you don't know how complex they are and through limb lengthening. Um, by corollary, tell people what you're doing and don't be alone in that process because otherwise it's going to be a very lonely process. Right. The, uh, another very take-home uh, message of this interview is uh, it doesn't matter who you go to mm -hmm. for this procedure. You can come to me, you can co go to uh, my partner, Janet Conway, you can go down south, you can go out west. Uh, it doesn't matter. What matters is find a surgeon who's knowledgeable in limb lengthening. Mm -hmm. 
not only cosmetic limb lengthening, if you want my opinion, but as well, uh, reconstructive limb lengthening. Mm -hmm. Everyone always asks me, how many cosmetic lengthening have you done? Well, that's a very good question. Mm -hmm. But cosmetic lengthenings are amongst the, the easiest. That, mm -hmm. that I Absolutely. And genital lengthenings are the real, the real challenge. Mm -hmm. And good, if, if you go to a surgeon who has extensive experience, mm -hmm. training, and knows how to troubleshoot issues, mm -hmm. uh, then it will be smooth sailing. Another advice is manage your expectations. Beware sleazy marketing. Mm -hmm. Beware people who will, or surgeons who will tell you what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Listen to the surgeon who's going to tell you this is a process. This is potentially uh, written with complications. Mm -hmm. Here's how we're going to manage them together. Right. Uh, and expect complications to happen. Mm -hmm. Expect it whether it's just a simple blood clot, you know, a, a, a deep venous thrombosis in the calf, whether it's a little bit of a contracture that requires to, to, you know, to do a lot of physical therapy, whether it's a little bit of nerve tingling that requires a nerve release, mm -hmm. expect a complication. Surgeons will tell you they have no complications. They're not truthful. <laughs> it's how they help you manage them and how they, they make it happen, um, you know, seamlessly when, mm -hmm. when complications rear their ugly head. Mm -hmm. So know what you're doing, know what you're getting into, uh, pick your surgeon carefully, mm -hmm. get someone who has experience, but someone who's, who has a good team around them, mm -hmm. uh, someone who's not going to, someone who's going to work with you, but not someone who's going to yield to every demand mm -hmm. at the same time. Right. And, uh, and really that's, that's it. Yeah. Happy lightning, happy process. <laughs> Don't go back. Right, right. Once it's, once it's going, it's going. Wow, I love it. Expe expect complications, but hope for the best. What great way to end it. All right, everyone, that is Dr. Michael Asiag of the International Center for Limb Lengthening at Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, in the United States. Dr. Asiag, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Victor. It was a pleasure. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Asiag. Along with his prodigious expertise for correcting deformities and helping his patients get taller, his hands-on approach for mitigating complications while ensuring the best possible outcome exemplifies the true qualities of a world-class surgeon. If you're interested in reaching out to Dr. Asiag, I posted all of his contact information in the show notes. Until next time, this is Victor from Cyborg for Life, signing out.